Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today, I'm so happy to have on my podcast, Matt Rupert from New Jersey. Matt, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. It's an interesting story, Matt. I I was talking to uh, a young man I'm training named Dom Munson, and I asked him, I said, who do you know who's growing? Who uh, who your age is, is really inspiring you. And immediately he said, Matt Rupert. And so that definitely got me interested. And that's how we got in touch recently. Matt, can you tell me a little bit about how you became a Christian? What, what, uh, what path to God did you take? Sure. So my parents were sort of agnostic, atheistic, um, didn't necessarily grow up in the church at the beginning, but my uncle became a Christian. He went to Budapest, Hungary, came back after being a missionary there for a couple of years and studied the Bible with my mom and my dad. My dad, uh, they both became Christians, but within a couple of months, my dad left the church and my mom remained faithful. And I grew up going to uh, going to the church. And so I grew up in a town where eight other disciple couples with kids about my age and we went to some of the same high schools and middle schools and uh, i grew up around that an awesome teen ministry uh, awesome youth and youth and family ministry and um but i lived the you know as, as bad as it gets eighth grade you know peak of my sin and uh right at the end of eighth grade where i was planning on going even deeper into sin was the summer where i went to teen camp and a brother preached for three days on sin. And I realized, wow, I might not be a Christian. And I got to figure these things out. So I studied the Bible for just over a year. And then my sophomore year of high school, I was uh, 15 at the time. I got baptized in October of 2010. And so, yeah, it's, it's really, I'm just so grateful for the relationships that I had growing up. Because my best friends, two of my best friends became Christians right before I did. And uh, seeing their example definitely sealed the deal for me. Wow. So you grew up in the church. You've been a disciple around 10 years. The thing that insp- that I, I find really interesting, you're, you're 25, is that right? Right. And you're in the ministry in, a ch- in the church in New York City. Right, the New Jersey region of the New York City church. Okay, so tell me, how did you get into the ministry? What led you into the ministry? You know, it's funny, in, in high school, one of our youth and family leaders was Damon Curtis from Houston, and he moved back to Houston since, but he used to explain how ministry was this, you wake up, you take your kids to the bus, you wear your um, your slippers as you go down there, you hang out with teens all day, and then uh, you preach at night, and it's awesome. And so at first, I thought, <laughs> I want to do ministry just because it sounds like the coolest lifestyle I've ever lived. Um, but then I went to college in my freshman year of college. I, I had, you know, a scholarship to Virginia Tech. I wanted to go to Texas A&M. Um, but William Patterson in New Jersey was a small school that had three girls and no brother. And I figured, you know what? The brother asked me once, he's like, where, where do you want to go to school? Um, you know, you got you to consider what is your Nineveh? Where's the last place you want to go? Mm. And New Jersey, staying in New Jersey was the last place I, I wanted to go. But my, uh, but I got a, a 
almost a full ride to a small school in New Jersey. And I was at the time, the, one of the only brothers there. And when I got accepted and I finally enrolled, uh, two other guys had gotten baptized. So I went to a school hoping to be the, the main catalyst for change. And uh, two other guys got baptized before me. And so it was, it was perfect. And I, you know, started my freshman year there. We, um, one of the brothers, just an incredible guy, Charles DelVal, who leads the Rutgers, New Jersey campus ministry. He and I study the Bible with some like 25 guys my freshman year. I had no idea what I was doing. Neither did he. We got five guys to the position of counting the cost and none of them made it. But I think what we learned my freshman year was it's kind of like a second, a second birth or a rebirth um, of my faith was this is really difficult, but there's nothing quite as exhilarating as serving in God's kingdom in this way. And so freshman year of, of college, I, I knew I wanted to do ministry. Mm. Um, and I also wanted to work for Hope Worldwide. And so I had this kind of dual dream that, that was married perfectly. You know, I think ministry and Hope Worldwide and serving the poor is all along the same vein. Um, and so I've got a chance to do that now while I'm in ministry, serving the poor as well as leading the campus. And uh, I, I love it. I've been doing this for two and a half years and it is a dream come true. It just keeps getting better. Mm. That's, that's great to hear that. <laughs> I, I certainly love the flexibility in the ministry and the control of your schedule, which is not for everybody, but certainly something I value. Now, again, you're, you're only 25. You're just, you're, you're a kid in my book. Um, and you've already been married <laughs> two and a half years that's right. to, to your wife, Brielle. Um, you know, there's a lot of people going, man, I'd love to be married. Uh, you sure. know, people are feeling like, oh, I'm 25. I'm, I'm in Japan. You know, there was a, a saying that, um, you know, you're a, you're a Christmas cake if you're 25. Basically, uh, in Japan, they, they celebrate Christmas with a cake. That's, that's okay. the big uh, thing. And so on the day after Christmas, if you're, uh, you know, basically the, all those cakes go half, half price. And so okay. they call an older person who's not married a Christmas cake. <laughs> now, I don't, I don't believe that at all in the kingdom, but I, I want to just ask you, uh, what advice would you give to those who are looking for a great man or a great woman, and they're a little nervous, either they're in sure. a small church or they're like going, man, I don't see any good guys around here, or I don't mm. see any women that are really striking my fancy. Sure. And they're getting nervous. They're getting worried. What advice would you give them? Well, I think it's encouraging to know that God loves marriage more than we do. And it was his first institution. And so God's been dreaming up our perfect spouse, if that's his will. He's been dreaming up our perfect spouse since before we were born. Um, and, you know, for me, I'll, I'll share this. I... I almost dated three times before Brielle and I dated. And every time I thought for certain this was this was the person. One one of the girls, the sisters, I was going to move down to a different state for. Um, another sister just didn't work out. And a third girl, um, I thought this was the one. I liked her for a really long time. But I got burned in that last friendship. It just didn't, it just wasn't a spiritual relationship. And so I kind of came to this point of, I, 
I think there's another girl named Brielle that I like, but I just don't want to do this the wrong way anymore. And so I started praying, really sacrificing. Like literally, I'd pray every day, even before I liked Brielle. God, I pray that you, um, if your will is for me to be single, I will be content in that. And if I'm going to bring you more glory by myself than being married, then that's the way I'll pursue this. And I pray that every day. And, and I just kind of came to this point of being surrendered that I'm going to be single and I'm okay being single. I think when God, when you say to God that you're enough for me, God's like, oh, now I can bless you with, with something more because mm. um, you can handle it. He's God opposes the proud. And that's when I, without any focus on Brielle, that's when God plopped Brielle into my lap. And mm. she was just a ton more spiritual than I was. And so <laughs> I was really, that's what I was looking for. After getting burned, I was like, man, I want a woman who is just exponentially more spiritual than I. Yeah. And Brielle corrected me as we were leading a Bible talk together. She corrected me that, I was teaching false doctrine about um, some random thing. And I went back to my best friend, went back to my best friend and said, yep, she's the one. And we started dating shortly after that. <laughs> That's a great story. And I, I think that aspect of being totally surrendered and God bringing you to the point where you're like, hey, you know, God, just do what you want. You know, you, right. I've tried it this way. I've tried it, you know, making it happen, forcing it to happen. Mm. Um, but getting to a different point, I think really, really does help. And I think that a lot of people need to hear that message. So thank you. Yeah. Now you come from a, a broken home. Is that right? Correct. Your parents are divorced. It's yeah. Parents got divorced at four and then my mom remarried, uh, my stepdad when I was eight. Okay. And they're still married. Yep. And they're both disciples. Okay. And they're both disciples. Okay. So you and, and did you say your dad went on the Hungarian or Budapest mission team? Is that right? Or your stepdad? That was my uncle. Yeah, uncle. my uncle who reached out to my parents. Okay, so he went to Budapest for three years, and he's uh, he speaks Hungarian. Is that right? Yeah, our family came from Hungary in 1951, and so my mom and my uncle both learned you know fluent Hungarian as kids. Wow. Now I've, I've read and heard that Hungarian is the most difficult language in the world to learn. That's what I've heard. Right. And more I, difficult than Japanese, which is hard for me to imagine, but it is the most difficult. So do you speak Hungarian? Very little. Okay. I, I, I can't even hold a conversation. Okay. Well, there's a, probably a reason. It's tough, tough That's language. probably why. <laughs> but you came from a, a broken home and yet, Matt, you really strike me as very confident. Mm. Um, you know, you just, you seem, you seem comfortable in your own skin. You seem mature beyond your age. Where does that come from? Sure. I think a lot of insecurity. <laughs> I had to work through a lot of things and I'm still working through a lot of things. Um, I, that's a good question. I think, um, I had a lot of people believe in me in the teen ministry when I, I thought, Hey, I'm, I'm, I'm eight of my best friends have left God by the time they were five years old in the faith. And so I just figured, Hey, by the time I turned five, I, I'm knowing myself and my, you know, stagnant living, 
even as a young Christian, I was, I was wrestling with a lot of sin. Um, I just figured that by the time I turned five, I'd be gone and I would have left God, unfortunately. Um, but I had some brothers that just took me under their wing. I had campus guys, a senior, you know, freshmen in, in college would come and stay at my house after school every, every Monday. And we just hang out and play video. I wasn't even a Christian at that point, but I just had people love me and invest in me and um, just kind of help me believe that I'm, I'm more than what I think I am. Mm. And so that was, that was incredible. And then again, to, to campus, the campus ministry, a lot of just reading the books and praying and wrestling with God and uh, being uncomfortable, but then expressing my discomfort to God. I read books like Wild at Heart, which which messed me up in some great ways. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, and so I think it was the combination of a lot of things, but I, I wouldn't be confident if it wasn't for the relationships that I have and have had. Yeah. That's a great quality you've got. And it's, it's certainly noticeable immediately on the phone. Mm-hmm. And it's a great quality for a person of your age. Now, you've done some pretty amazing things there at William Patterson and in, um, I'm assuming, essentially, the suburbs of New York City in New Jersey. Is that right? A bunch of different campuses. So you've got a what you call a leadership factory. You've put five people in the full-time ministry. Um, you're supplying the, the church with campus ministers. That's pretty awesome. Um, you shared that you kicked off last fall with um, 65 students on campus sharing with over 10,000 people in two weeks. And last spring, you studied the Bible with 135 students. That's a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And um, you've got third, three full-time campus ministers in your ministry, two full-time interns, and six volunteer interns, as well as some older shepherds, 50 years of age or older. That's pretty exciting. So you, you grew that small ministry of just three guys, and now you've got a uh, campus ministry that includes other campuses and it's about 75 members. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So you know, what's impressive is that you're a kingdom key raised in the church, but you've got conviction. You've, mm. you've got dedication. I mean, you're, you're certainly motivated. I was talking to Dom. He said, this guy's a dreamer. He's, he's really uh, a motivate, motivated person. What, what made the difference? You know, I, there's examples of kingdom kids that come into campus ministry and they're not motivated. I mean, they're just not, they're not thinking about the loss. They're not thinking, they're just, I don't know what they're thinking about, but they are certain mm-hmm. they don't have that same drive. What's made the sure. difference for you? Sure. Well, well, to go back to what you were saying about how New Jersey was, was built. It was cool because when I came into the campus ministry in 2013, our group of the group that I had watched from afar went from eight to about 35. Wow. And there's an incredible brother, Rob Novak and his wife, Chelsea Novak, who are just my heroes in the faith. They're, they're 30 now. Um, they had built a, a raging, awesome ministry. And I got to grow up in that culture. And so since coming to the campus ministry, our group went from 35 to where it is now, about 75. So it's, it's definitely been a team effort. Um, and I, I've got to inherit now that Rob's gone on to uh, a larger role in New York City. We've got to inherit uh, a growing ministry and um, just seeing even people go into staff has been 
it's it's been incredible and i've got to be a part of that i'm certainly not the only person doing it um but what was your question again you've got conviction as a growing up in the church uh you've got a lot more conviction uh, then simply I'm going to just go to school and get a job sure. um, and make money. And I just want to know what, what do you feel like's made the difference? What's given you that extra edge to go, man, I want to, I want to make an impact. I, I, I said a little bit about relationships and I think I'll, I'll, I'll kind of hit on that again. Um, it's surrounding yourself with people who inspire you. I got a chance when I was, some of my friends from Boston were studying abroad and uh, Spain in Madrid. And I took my spring break my junior year. I left Starbucks where I was working as well as a part-time intern. I left Starbucks for 10 days and I flew out to Spain and we went to London for their campus conference. And I was just going as a, a student just to visit. And I got to, you know, pull Andy Fleming aside for a second. I'm, I'm sure he doesn't remember me, but I pulled Andy Fleming aside and asked him, Hey, I, I want to change the world. What, what do I need to do to change the world? And <laughs> Big question. He, yeah. And, and it was so fun. I told him, I want to do what you did in Moscow. And, and he said, um, you gotta, you gotta surround yourself with people who are inspiring. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's, I think what I've, I've tried my best to do is we, we go on campus conferences. We, we were the, one of the first groups in New Jersey to go down to Atlanta uh, when they do their campus training program, because Atlanta has it going on. And so we just are trying, I'm just trying to surround myself with the people who are, who make me uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so I just, you know, I really appreciate Mark Persing and Seth Mitchell and some of these great guys that I grew up with who, who didn't accept the status quo. And that just became the norm for me. There's a lot of there's a lot of people who grew up in the church probably listening to this program. How do you how do you motivate a person raised in the church? How do you bring that edgy desire for a person that, that they didn't grow up quote unquote in the world? Now they're total sinners, absolutely, but they've got a different take on things. You know they they've they've been around the block. And um, how do you motivate them? What do you, what do you do when you've got people mm-hmm. in your ministry coming in and you know, they're just, they've just got different ambitions. What do you, what works for you? Sure. Well, I think two things have worked in our experience in New Jersey. One is finding a new motivation. A lot of our teens and, you know, being part of a, a large team ministry, the most common reason that someone got baptized was they found out that they weren't saved and that they needed to, to, do something different so they don't go to hell. And that's good. And that, that'll get you in the waters of baptism, but you sort of need a second, a second conversion after that. Mm-hmm. And we, we preach a lot, a lot in New Jersey, very much inspired from Ed Anton and the Hampton Roads church uh, about grace. And I, I had that second conversion my junior year, or actually I think it was my sophomore year, junior year rather, where I realized that a lot of what I was doing was purely out of obedience. And uh, we, we call it here, it was more so out of responsibility than, than response. And I went through this deep journey of appreciating grace and 
now we teach that all the time and really being men whose Christ, men and women whose Christ's love compels them, who are Titus 2, verse 11 and 12, who are taught by the grace of God to say no to sin and live godly, righteous, or godly self-controlled uh, lives in this present age. So I think grace, having that shift is huge. And then the second thing is, is really, man, I can't say it enough. It's surrounding themselves with people who are doing it. In the teen ministry, where a lot of our guys get get baptized, and our kingdom kids were young, uh, you you surround yourself with a lot of friends and cool cool guys in school. But I don't know if it's until campus ministry where you're around disciples all the time, and uh, when you get to see people who are who are sharing their faith with 15, 20, 30 people a day, who are challenging others in, in discipleship. Um, you can definitely experience that in the teen ministry, uh, but in the, co- the college ministry, I think we, we see a lot of these guys get inspired and have breakthroughs by seeing other men kind of breaking away the ice and having working hard. That, that's so powerful. This whole idea of a second conversion, I, I think back on my, my becoming a Christian. Certainly, I, I wanted to get saved. And then a couple of years passed, and I definitely went through a second conversion, a time of real struggle, almost fell away, and really had to dig into the grace of God from Philippians and Ephesians and Romans and really personalize and internalize the message of grace and giving myself a new wellspring of, of motivation. So it's powerful you say that, and, and it's needed. It's great. I really appreciate your sharing that. Now... I noticed you wrestled. Now, I wrestled in high school. <laughs> Not a great wrestler. I was tall and skinny. But uh, how's that helped you in the ministry? Have, have you seen any uh, benefits from, from wrestling? And you also played lacrosse. Yeah. Well, playing sports in general is, is, is always, always helpful. Um, it was brutal. Wrestling was really hard. I only wrestled for a year because we, we couldn't go to midweeks or church at, you know, when we were wrestling because it was so difficult with scheduling. We'd go to, we'd get to school when it was dark out after practice, it would still be dark out. So we'd only see the light of day on the weekends, basically, honestly, it was, it was crazy, but I just learned so much about self-discipline. Like you don't, you don't want to, you don't want to work hard, but when your coach is yelling at you and, um, you, you gotta watch what you're eating. Like if you fail or if you don't show up for a, a weigh-in one day, it's, it's no one else's fault, but your own, like your record is your fault, your, and, and your responsibility rather. And so I played a lot of team sports. I grew up playing soccer and basketball and, um, baseball. And then we switched over to lacrosse in college, but, um, that was the first time I ever participated in a solo sport. Mm-hmm. And that taught me, that's taught me a lot about self-discipline and, um, your, your biggest, your biggest enemy, or I guess your, your biggest beast is you mm-hmm. <laughs> and you got to learn to control it. Right. Right. It's, it really teaches you to persevere hang, hang tough oh, yeah. when, when you want to quit. I think that that lesson in perseverance is so, so important. Now, mm. you mentioned there that because you, you weren't able to go to church, you decided to let wrestling go. Was that on the advice of your parents? Or is it something you came up with yourself? 
I, well, we, we would go to church Sunday mornings for teacher's service. We'd weigh in, we'd starve ourselves, weigh in, go to teacher's service 45 minutes away and then come back for our first match. And sometimes we'd miss our first match. Wouldn't have the opportunity to win a tournament. But that was our conviction. A brother, Seth Mitchell and I wrestled together, which was a huge blessing. Um, but I remember even just, I wanted to quit halfway through the season. But the brother said to me, "Are you are you touching your microphone? We're getting some feedback there." Oh, sorry. Yeah, I was rubbing something. Um, so just to repeat that, yeah, I, I was I was ready to quit, but a brother sat me down and said, "You're not a quitter. Christians don't quit. You're going to persevere until the end of the semester, the end of the season, and then you can then you can not return next year." And so we wrestled, and it was incredible. And then I I decided the following year one because it was really hard. But then our conviction was we, we need the church. Yeah. We, we need relationships. And this was way too demanding for what we, what we needed spiritually. Yeah, that shows, a, do it, right. yeah. It shows a lot of um, discretion on your part to, to make that decision. I'm sure it was encouraged by the fact that wrestling is super challenging. But I see uh, a lot of parents that they've got their kids so busy with, with sports and, and students that they really get compromised. Um, yeah. it becomes really the sport becomes kind of an idol in a way and a convenient excuse for missing, missing service and the convictions start to fade. Have you seen that yourself? Yeah. Yeah. We have a, a, a lot of great guys in New Jersey and great families in New Jersey. Um, but they, they kind of, they can become sleeping giants a little bit of these, these heroes in the faith and whatnot. But then, the temptation to put sports in front of other things. Um, you see it in their kids. You see it in even their own, their own commitment because they're always doing sports. And so I remember my, my mom was, she had some great relationships with women who had very firm convictions. But I remember I was our soccer championship. It must have been in middle school. We were, had an incredible team. We were going to play in the finals but that was the same weekend as a young teen retreat. And my, um, my mom said, I'm, you can't go on Saturday. You need to be at this young teen retreat. And what's funny enough was that on the other team was, a, was another son from who was in the church. <laughs> and uh, his, his parents let him go. And um, I, I, he, he's not a Christian. Not that I'm saying that has. Is he, is he still him. faithful today? He, he was, he was never a Christian, oh, okay, never became never. a Christian. Okay. Um, but it, it was just interesting because I think my mom's conviction was you're, you're going to be at church. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love listening to, uh, I guess, Mike Fontenot, who was on your, your podcast last week. And he just had some really cool conviction about family and, you know, family being a mission team together. Mm-hmm. I thought that was really inspiring. My we, mom lived that way a lot. And, you know, there's certainly a connection there. And I think that that's, something parents have got to really uh, adopt if they want mm. their kids to be strong and not just attend church, but actually have conviction and passion and, and uh, intensity that, Hey, this is, this is important. And so right. very, very, you know, kudos to your mom. That's, that's really, really interesting and powerful and certainly a contributor to where you've ended up as a disciple. Now let's talk a little bit. We're talking about sports. What are you doing to reach men? Okay. What are you, what are you doing to convert guys and uh, to make a difference in, in young men's lives? Sure. We, we had a problem with that. I remember seeing a picture 
of our campus ministry when we had, I think it was 40 people and it was 15 men and 25 women. Um, but now in the last four years or so, we've leveled off to about 35 men, 35 women. Awesome. So we've grown, we've grown a lot. Um, we've got some football players in our ministry and we'll see a bunch of football players come out to the midweek regularly. Um, but I, I honestly think this has always been the answer. And this was Jesus's way is that you grab a couple of men with character and you invest in them. And when Mark Persing and I are, are out sharing our faith, like, yeah, we're, we're doing the brunt of the work and we're setting up most of the men's Bible studies, but then we're, we're kind of in a cool place right now where we have about 18 guys studying the Bible in New Jersey, especially during coronavirus. Okay. So wait a and second. You, you said you've got 18 guys, men studying the Bible yes. right now during coronavirus. Correct. Okay. And we got about five or six guys. Uh, count. We have one guy who's ready to get baptized, but his mom won't let him leave the house. <laughs> so we're having that problem, which is a you're good gonna, problem. You're going to have to get a hazmat suit on and go and baptize him in his bathtub or something. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. It works. That's pretty, that's pretty inspiring. Okay. So let's just go on a little de- detour. We are con- recording this during the coronavirus. How'd you, how in the world did you do that? How are you studying the Bible with 18 men during the coronavirus when a lot of campus ministries have just essentially shut down, gone home and called it, called mm-hmm. it a year? Yeah. Well, everything's done through zoom, but we, a lot of the guys we're studying the Bible with were guys that we reached out to in January. And so we do a, a kind of a second kickoff week in our spring semester and we share faith like crazy and try to re-kick things off in the second semester. And so, I mean, honestly, so far this semester, we've, we've studied the Bible with um, nearly 70 guys, wow. 49 of whom have stopped studying because of unresponsiveness or whatever that might be. But we just shared our faith a lot, and we had a lot of Bible studies. Some of them are family members of guys studying the Bible. I got a list. You see me looking up. I got a list of, of guys that we're praying for daily. But, um, yeah, just different guys reaching out to, to different people. And we, every week, we go through our list of, with our Bible talk leaders, of who's studying the Bible, what's the game plan, you know, who, who's close to getting baptized, what's the plan to help them. And so we're very focused. We have a very strong evangelistic culture in New Jersey. Okay, that's that's great. Let's camp out on this a little bit. So you, your campus ministry is growing. When you say you're reaching out with your guys, how, are you talking about just one physical location or multiple campuses in New Jersey? What what are we talking about there? <laughs> New Jersey's New Jersey's crazy. I, I, I wouldn't wish this on my enemies, but New Jersey has... I believe 14 different schools that our 70 students are on. We have some primary schools like Montclair State and William Patterson. And I lead the our, our Newark region, which has 40,000 students in a three block radius. And so that's, that's primarily where I am. Um, and so we're divided into four regions in our campus ministry that still meets together Wednesday nights for midweek and Friday nights for our Friday night lives, which is like our family night. Um, but kind of the, the structure in New Jersey, if, if that's the question, is I 
oversee the East region and the West region. And then my brother, Mark Persing, who was my best man at my wedding, go figure. He leads the North and the Montclair, the North and Central region. And so we operate together. All our Bible talk leading, leaders meeting is together, but we consistently share our faith with the Bible talk leaders in our group, with our students in our group. And we have, you know, multiple Bible talks on different campuses and, um, yeah, and even some of our students are, are volunteer interns who were not on their campus, but they're, they're making it happen. And it's been really cool seeing Bible studies being generated from guys that are not the campus minister. That's pretty awesome. That's really old school in, in a lot of ways. You know, there's a lot of people that are, are, they're on campus and when they hear campus ministry and they hear about like Crossroads Church, they hear mm -hmm. about um, maybe the UCLA ministry or the UC Berkeley ministry from the past or other campus ministries that were really explosive. It's not part of their experience. They, they have no um, touchstone to, mm -hmm. to go back to and go, okay, I, I know what it's like to be part of a really cranking campus ministry. Can you just take me through what what can people take away? What what's working for you on campus, and what could a person who's trying to do campus ministry wherever they're at, whether it's a small campus location or you know a commuter school or whatever, what could they take away from what what's working for you there on on your set of campuses because you're scattered all over the place, right? Well, I'll say this: Robin Chelsea Novak set up an incredible ministry that we inherited. And so there's a lot, a lot of credit to them. Um, but I think what, what's working for us right now is the, 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 our leaders and our Bible talk leaders are, are setting a really challenging example for the rest of our campus ministry. Um, I've been inspired by the, just the depth of love for God that Mark has and that our Bible talk leaders have you know, reading the Bible like crazy, setting high expectations for themselves. Um, you know, this I'm, I'm finishing my sixth book of the coronavirus just because I have no idea what I'm doing and I need as much help as possible. Honestly, there's this no credit to myself. This just shows how much I need help. What, um, like what type of books are you reading? Well, some two financial books, one financial book, just because I'm trying to make sure that my wife and I are taken care of. But um, I read a, a book about Patagonia, the Patagonia company and its leadership model and their philosophy of leadership. I read C.S. Lewis's Reflections in the Psalms. I'm finishing Dynamic Leadership by Gordon Ferguson, um, Master's Plan of Evangelism. And um, there's another book in there that I'm forgetting. But so you, yeah, it's just a oh, and then there was, yeah, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I was going to say there's uh, Steve Johnson back in the day wrote a book for New York that was called I, I want to I want to hear him say well done instead of going to hell and being burned well done and that's a really cool story about <laughs> how, how Steve came to New York and uh, it's really cool that's great so you're, so you're a big reader and that's always a, a great quality and you read a variety of different books which is which is fantastic you were just talking about what's working for you on campus. So you're reading a lot. Anything else? I think we're just consistently keeping the oven hot. I mean, every week we touch in about who 
who's saying the Bible? Um, how, how's your example? Are you setting the example for the guys? How's your, you know, are you praying, you're reading your Bible? I think our Bible talk leaders is really through whom we operate the ministry out of. And um, yeah, we're just calling them to be deeply spiritual and to set an example for the believers in faith, love, conduct, speech, and purity. And so that's, that's been really cool. And so do you meet uh, with your leaders like weekly? Uh, how often do you meet with, with your, your people? Every week mm-hmm. during the coronavirus, it's been, it's been easier to meet every week. Sometimes we'll have to reschedule things on Sundays, but we've moved our Bible talk leaders meetings to Mondays and um, our campus staff, which there's really a core six of us that we, we meet up uh, digitally Monday mornings to plan out the week. What are the needs of the week? We call it the, the now. What is the need of the week? Oh, okay. And so we'll talk through that together as well as a schedule. And then we'll meet a couple hours later with our Bible talk leaders. And then Wednesdays, we're together as a campus ministry. Friday nights, we're bonding. And then Sunday morning, our church in New York is doing a digital church service. And we do uh, Zoom parties to watch it together and take communion together afterwards. That's cool. So you break off and like break off chat rooms with Zoom to fellowship? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So let's let's imagine there's someone listening and they're part of a campus ministry. They're either a Bible talk leader, just a member, or a uh, a minister in, in, in charge of a, a certain campus. And they've been struggling for a while. Hardly any baptisms, people falling away, um, you know, some discouragement. People have left. They've, they've converted them, but then they walked away. What advice would you give a person who is just going, man, how, how can I get this going? How, how can I bring life to this place? This is, it's, I don't know if I got the strength to pull this back together. Like what, get, Give me three practicals. What what would you do if you walked into that situation, knowing what you know now, and you wanted to turn it around this next semester? Let's imagine it's you know August or September, beginning of the school year. What would you do? Yeah, I, I, I've met a couple of guys who are in situations like that. And one of the most common things that I'm hearing are just kind of feeling sorry for themselves and, and feeling frustrated by the situation and, and even kind of excuses or complaining can drip in. I know I've, I've even felt that before, but I think the first thing is just, is working really hard is setting a really, really high example of, you know, we, we, we reach out to 10,000 and I say this carefully not to boast, but we reach out to 10,000 and I, I shared my faith with 1,500 of those 10,000. And, you know, it, it is a matter of I'm going to drop my head. I'm going to work really hard to help our ministry grow. And so I think that's that's probably the first thing is, is to work really hard. And the second thing, and I, I see this in you, Rob, and I see this in a lot of different people, is like just, just, just do the basics really well. If you read your Bible and you're living in a, in a place where you're just fired up by your quiet times, like to re-fall in love with God, is if you're reading your Bible for a while, challenging yourself to read your Bible more and more, you're praying more and more. I, I, I've, I've just never seen a scenario where that doesn't lead to eventual fruit or growth in some area. So that's a big, big one. And 
Yeah, the third thing, and I've noticed this in a lot of ways, is surround yourself with people who are doing it right. <laughs> a lot of these guys who, who are maybe in that position where I've been and whatnot, I think getting, getting yourself around people, making the long drive or saving up money and making a flight down to Atlanta when they're doing their CTP or you know, going and spending time with friends or doing a phone call. This coronavirus has been so cool with catching up with friends uh, in Kentucky, like Colin Sanborn and his wife, or, um, you know, down in LA, hanging out, talking to friends. I'm just getting my, my wind is being pushed back into my sails by men who are doing it well. That's great. What a great answer. So work hard, do the hard work, talk to a lot of people. It's similar to what I've, I've heard before people like, uh, Mike Fontenot, just you got to work hard. You got to really do the, do the stuff that no one wants to do. Yes. Uh, and then do the basics. Well, stay, stay spiritually focused and, and do, uh, do that well. And then surround yourself with doing it right. Is that basically some yeah, people who are doing it right? People who are doing it right. So that's, that's fantastic. Um, and, you know, and that's, that's why, one thing I wanted to start this podcast for was to try to give people a chance to hear other people that are doing it and doing it well. And so mm -hmm. that they can learn and compare and, and measure up and go, okay, here's where I'm falling short. Here's what I can pick up from this person. And, and I hope that um, it inspires that kind of camaraderie, like, Hey, I want to, I want to be around people that are growing around the world. So let me, let me keep going here. What do you do in your, your daily routine that, that makes a difference? Like what, what's going on with you that's really helping you to grow and stay fired up day after day? Sure. Um, we, okay, for me, I try to get up 6.30 in the morning, somewhere between 6 and, and 8 o'clock, or 6 and 7 o'clock rather. Um, I'll have my quiet time first thing. I'll pray, I'll go for a walk or a run. And um, I start off in the morning is a really important, important thing. So I started doing this over the last couple of months because I felt like I was plateauing a little bit. And I invested, I, I was going to get life coaching from a brother in the church, but it just wasn't the right time for it. And he told me some books to buy if we were going to proceed to life coaching. And I didn't go to life coaching, but instead I bought the books. <laughs> I saved some, myself some money. And there's a book right now called, um, it's, a, it's a high performance planner. And so every morning I sit down, I work through, well, every week on Sunday, I'll sit down and work through my week of who do I need to talk to every day. It's about an hour long process. And then every morning I wake up after I have my, have my quiet time, I'll sit down and I'll write out. I mean, the questions are, who, who are you? Who do you need to connect with today? What's your morning mindset? The hour by hour plan. Um, let me try to think what else. Tasks that must absolutely be done today. Goals and priorities. And I ask myself, there's 10 questions that are written out that I have to go through every day. And that's been phenomenal. Now, there's some days that I miss that, but I do miss when I, when I miss it, I feel it. And so I really try to hold myself to every day um, writing in my planner and my agenda. Rob Novak trained us when we were first in the, the internship as a campus student that you got to have an agenda. You got to have a planner. And Rob was kind of crazy about it. He still is. 
but we've, we've learned from him and having a, a planner of the week. We sit down on Sundays. I sit down on Sundays and plan out my entire week. All my Bible studies, I'll sit down for an hour, sometimes two hours and send out messages to our guys. That's great. So what's the name of the book? It's High Performance Planner. Who's the author? Uh, now it's, it's actually a planner itself. There's a book that goes with it uh, by Brendan Bruchard. Okay. Okay. Great. Okay. I've, I've heard of him. He's also like a life trainer kind of a guy. Brandon Bouchard. Yeah. Okay. Well, I'll, we can include that in the notes of the podcast, but for those who maybe don't, don't have access to that or um, don't have the money for that, what could they do to plan out their week in advance if, if they didn't have necessarily uh, uh, something like that access to yeah. that? Well, I, I also use Google Calendar every day. So okay. I keep two planners, one of my digital and then the physical, which I write down daily. And I've, I've just seen when you have a, if you just make a plan, it, it influences so much because you think on a Tuesday, oh, I, I can have this study, that study, and maybe a D time. But when you sit down and operate, okay, here's my Parkinson's law. I have one hour and I'm going to fit that hour. And then the next hour, I'm going to meet up with somebody else. If you can designate time, um, that's why if you could just sit down on Sunday or on a weekend and just think through your week for an hour or so, yeah, I, that, that, that's just so helpful. I like the way you're thinking. And I think that's something anyone can do around the world yeah. is just sit down and think through one week in advance. Like what, how can I make the biggest difference this week? What, what needs mm -hmm. to happen in my, my personal spiritual life and my finances in my dating life or, or whatever, and, and just kind of just go through it step by step and, and put that into your calendar and stick to it. All of a sudden it adds up over time, day to day, right. you're making a difference. You've got your quiet time in there. You've got your fellowship time. That's really a great, great takeaway. Thank you, Matt, for sharing that. Um, what, you know, what, what's different, Matt? I mean, clearly, you're, you're way ahead of the game in, in my mind. What's different about your mindset and way of viewing God that's, that's creating so much passion and energy that's driving you? It's, I think it's going against that thinking is that I'm, I'm way ahead of the game. I, I feel very behind the game and I'm okay feeling that. Um, I'm inspired by a lot of other people and I, I recognize that I'm not where I need to be in New York we are, we are surrounded by legends. I was in a, a D group this morning with Sam Powell and Steve Kennard and Sheridan Wright, and I can go on with different names. And they just have epic stories of campus ministry days. And I expect that out of my life. Mm -hmm. and I'm not doing it yet. And so I, I definitely, and I'm inspired by the guys. I'll say it again in Atlanta. I just feel like, wow, there's so much more that I can be doing. And so that hunger has been a big theme for me. And that's what I'll be studying out for the next couple of months is just hunger and thirst for righteousness, doing what I got to do to be hungry and never settle. And so, yeah, I think, I think that's been it. That's is, great. That's great. Yeah. Now you, you've got a dream. You've got a dream of, this is one thing I just, you know, it's like took a, heard a double take here. I took a double take when uh, my intern, Don Munson, shared this. He said, you've got a dream of helping the kingdom of God reach a million disciples and helping the ICOC, our family of churches, reach a million. Um, 
Tell me a little bit more about that. What do you think it's going to take? Sure. Well, we're at, we're at 110,000 plus or minus right now worldwide. And that's so inspiring. Now it's hard to even fathom. But now, did you say that's uninspiring stuff. or inspiring? Oh, that's so inspiring. I'm, okay. I'm blown away by that. Oh, uninspiring. No way. I'm blown away by that. But then when we study the Bible with, with so much false doctrine, people believing in false doctrine, I'm like, that's, it's, it's a blip. It's, it's one step closer to everybody. And so 1 million, I love to see as the church grew from the thirties and the, the Gempel's living room to what it is now. And why can't that happen again? Right. And I think we've learned a lot since, since the, you know, what's called the firestorm, right? I think we've, we're learned a lot and we've grown a lot. Um, but I'm, I'm really inspired by this generation of leaders coming up. Uh, I hope he's listening, but Noah Mata and Nick Schaff and Cody Porter and just these guys out there who, who are just so inspired right now. I think if, if these guys stay inspired and we just keep replicating ourselves and others, I think the, ch- the church is in for some incredible things, but that's what it's going to take. I think it's going to take keeping this generation of people, having this generation of people have a breakthrough of being uncomfortable with sort of how things have been for the last 20 years. Right. There's, there's pockets of great growth. I'm really inspired by a lot of different people. And even in New Jersey and New York, there's, there's a lot of aspects of inspiration, but overall, I, I just know God wants to do so much more through his church on earth. I totally agree. A hundred percent. I love that dream though. A million disciples. I love the lesson that Sean Wooten taught at the reach conference back in 2016, when he talked about that. And I just, Something I think about, I just go, man, that would be awesome. We need to do it. We're so small when we compare ourselves to the worldwide population. We're tiny. You know, just the fact that you say, hey, do you know so-and-so? And, you know, if you don't know that person, you probably know a person who knows that person in the church. I mean, 100,000, it's just there aren't that many degrees of separation from knowing people. And I look forward to the day when you say, do you know that person? It's like, nope, don't know them. And don't know anyone who does know them, you know, and that there's like a four or five, six degrees of separation between us in, in our families and churches. That's going to be awesome. Wow. Now, That's cool. Um, okay. I, I just want, I want to ask you this. If you could just say anything to older brothers, baby boomers and generation X that are um, currently in positions of leadership right now, what would you like to tell them? What, what would you like to see more of in the kingdom? Mark Persing said this best, and I'll just reiterate his words. He said, um, when when he and I were preaching to our church of six six fifty in New Jersey, um, he said, "I, I want to make sure that your grandkids have the same church experience that I had growing up." Wow! And I, I just think that's so powerful. Is that I grew up. It was it was after '03, but I, I grew up in a in a church culture where, man, people were just in love with each other, and they they they, it was all about the kingdom. It was kingdom first, and then everything second and third. And I've I've benefited so much from that, and there's so many sparks and examples of that still. Um, but I would love to see more and more people investing for the future. I'll say this: there was um, 
in the Patagonia book I was reading, it was really cool. The point that he made was Yvonne Chouinard. He said that every time that, I think it's the Apaches, when the Apaches get together, there is someone in that group who is designated to represent seven generations from now. Hmm. So he's the voice of the seventh generation. So whatever's being said or done, how is that going to affect seven generations from now? Wow. <laughs> That's something to think about. I got to read that book. Okay. So let's talk about your future. Where do you see yourselves in 10 years? And explain to me what you mean by reach every beach. Reach sure. every beach. Yeah. You know, in, in 10 years from now, um, ho- hopefully I'll just be starting to have kids. We're 25. I'm there for two and a half years. I keep telling Brielle five more years, five more years. <laughs> um, and I don't, I don't think she likes that, but we'll see. <laughs> but um, yeah, 10 years from now, I, I would have loved to gone from New Jersey campus ministry to leading a church within the New York churches, uh, maybe go upstate as we're reaching up to the upstate regions. But I would love maybe in, in seven or eight years to be down in the Caribbean, helping the campus ministries, helping the churches. And we say reach every beach. New York helps Africa as well as the Caribbean. And um, I'm so inspired by my brothers and sisters down in the Caribbean. Incredible faith. The Dominican Republic specifically, I've just heard some incredible stories and spent some time with the brothers down there. There, There's still 25 islands that have not been evangelized or there's not disciples there. And when I think about just the terrain of what Paul went through in Ephesus and Asia Minor and, and all that area over there, it, it kind of is, is a similar terrain, I guess, to the Caribbean. Hmm. Is that I would love to go down there and be just a, a church planter, hmm. plant churches, raise up evangelists, raise up elders specifically, uh, move on to the next church or the next island do the same thing and do that until 60 or 70 when one day i'm an elder helping oversee the caribbean churches the caribbean mission well that's a great dream it's fantastic i've heard i've heard great things too from uh, uh, another interview with josue ortega and he shared that the, what's going on in the dominican republic is really exciting and i look forward to having an interview with that church leader mm. um, let's go ahead we'll go ahead and wrap it up here but you know, I just want to give you the final word here. What would you like to tell men or women in their twenties in the kingdom right now? What, what advice would you give them? What, you know, you got a platform here to just share with them. Um, what would you like to tell them? Yeah. You said something great with, to, to Mike Fontenot. And uh, I, I just want to sort of reiterate that is being in the ministry is the greatest is one of the greatest aspirations the Bible even says that it's it's a noble task to want to be an overseer, and I would I would just implore every brother and every sister to consider serving God in a in a full time capacity, and whether they go full time or or they're paid or not paid, just the aspiration of I'm, I'm here to build God's church. Um, my life matters for for God's kingdom. Please, please think that way. Uh, we've had some struggle in New Jersey of recent Bible talk leaders stepping out of a position of being a Bible talk leader. And what I'm 
learning from this and I got to make sure I'm continuing to communicate is there's you're, you're a disciple first, then you're a leader and leaders are disciples, but sharing your faith, making disciples, being radical is not the call of a leader. It's a call of a disciple. Right. And so if, if you can just get inspired, continue to be inspired by Jesus, um, that, that makes some of the greatest leaders in mm-hmm. God's kingdom. Mm-hmm. Great, great point. And it's, it's really true. It's not, it's not, you know, sharing your faith, studying the Bible. That's not the job of, of full-time people only. It's just, that's disciples position. So that's great for those who don't feel gifted to go into the full-time ministry. Any, any thoughts for them? People that might, might feel disengaged, may feel like, you know, uh, I'm, I'm not fully engaged in the kingdom. Any thoughts there? Yeah. Those people are heroes. My, my mom and, and most of the church is not, full-time staff. Um, I think they have a very special position of just being outward focused. And if they're in the campus ministry, taking what they're learning in the campus ministry and applying it to the young professionals and young marrieds, um, you know, just, we have a saying in New Jersey of, um, or the garden state where we're trying to plant Christ in every community. And so that's just, I love it. That was one of my brothers, Russ Murdoch said that. And that's what we're just trying to do is wherever you are. That's your right. mission field. That's great. 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 Well, Matt, what a pleasure to spend time with you to get to know you and certainly exceeded all my expectations. I hope that, uh, the spirit that's in you, your fire, your passion for Christ and for his kingdom, um, is contagious during this uh, coronavirus. It just spreads all over the all over the world, and uh, it helps and encourages people. I know it's going to. It's going to cer- certainly encourage me, inspired me, learned a lot, and I hope it in- inspires people around the world. Yeah. I want to thank you today for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal every week is to inspire you to make this life count, live a no regrets life and to multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. If you enjoyed the program, I'd like to ask you to subscribe, to rate, to review it, and share with your friends. Let people know uh, the conversations that are going on here. Have a great day. Make this life count.